Welcome to Smurfs in Space. Is that me? I'm Gilgamesh? Is that the Smurfs enemy? I think it is Gilgamesh. I should know. My son's been watching the movie here recently. <laughs> the one with Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah, NPH, baby. NPH. Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am a Smurf Crypto. If you are new to the Codex Cantina, we typically go a bit deeper into the books that we read. We will usually apply a literary focus on the readings that we do. But with Thrawn, this is something that is near and dear to Crypto and I's heart. We met via Star Wars. We've played a Star Wars game for six years together now. This is how we became friends. This is something that we're just going to do for fun. So let's do a little bit more of a, let's have a fireside chat where we're going to start out real spoiler free and then slowly move our way into more spoiler territory. Very nostalgic for us. Our very first book chat, you called me on some random Saturday. He's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm Una. You got a second to talk about that Thrawn book you're reading? I'm like, yeah, sure. And we talked for like three hours. <laughs> Have you seen the actual physical book, what Disney did with this one? Uh, no, I heard there's some bells and whistles to it, though. Like it's uh, premium. Dude, so they've got these blue edges around the outside to kind of give it this special feel that I guess they're going to do for a lot of the High Republic books that they're working on. So we did the Kindle version. Crypto did. I did the Kindle version. Crypto here did the audiobook. I'm curious. Do you think if I asked Disney to come out and paint my Kindle blue, they'll do it? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so if you are new to Thrawn, what his uh... deal is, he is these super brainiac smart guy that always has the answer to everything and you cannot defeat him strategically but you can defeat him politically right so he's kind of got the superman deal of he's almost basically perfect his only downfall is himself in a in a blind spot in his life is it's kind of how i described thrawn to someone who's never heard of him before yeah when we we talk about this i said that politics is thrawn's kryptonite so it's a sci-fi adventure in space written by timothy zahn now, in terms of reading order, because this is a new prequel trilogy, the question I think a lot of people are going to have is, do I need to read this first, or should I start with the original Thrawn trilogy, the new Disney trilogy that's considered canon? What do you think, Crypto? Yeah, I think you should start with the original Disney Thrawn trilogy. I think that it is, so far, uh, that very first Thrawn book is, to me, the best book out of all four. And I think that that will get you into it and get you excited and fall in love with Thrawn and a lot of the other characters. And I don't want to talk too much about that book, but Eli Vanto and Thrawn have this great buddy cop chemistry. And I think that it is a good, good book to introduce yourself into this Star Wars piece of the galaxy. I got to say, I agree. I've been thinking about this question because, okay, so to still avoid spoilers, Skywalkers, what a Skywalker is to the Chiss ascendancy if you just go into it just being standard known information in this book that's normal i think that takes away some of the emotional resonance when you discover what a skywalker is to the chiss ascendancy in Thrawn alliances so one i think emotionally it's important to start there two i agree with you that i think the original Thrawn, the first one in the new canon trilogy is the strongest book of all of them but not only that i think it depends on the type of reader that you are because if you are a peak reader where the highest point that that book reaches in terms of excitement and, and just emotional resonance i think Thrawn's your book your book right that that had some really great moments in it and a great place to start this book okay so Thrawn, this chaos rising the Thrawn ascendancy 
it, it was very consistently solid throughout the whole thing, I thought. There's maybe been a few parts that were a little bit slower, but overall it was generally very solid compared to Thrawn, which had those peaks that were really awesome that I think are going to make the book more memorable long term. And I think that the only thing I would add to that as well is I feel that the first Disney Thrawn book has a lot better character development for the side characters. And that's one of my points that I always talk about, I think, in this with you is Thrawn never really evolves as a character. And that kind of sucks. It's like Superman. He has all these powers. He's so invincible. It, it, it's it's tough, you know, to sometimes enjoy Thrawn. But it's all the side characters that are so cool. And there's a lot of character development of side characters in that original book. And in this one, you basically just have two characters that really start to evolve, I would say, in the last fourth of the book. And you really get excited for them. And it made me excited for the next book in the trilogy, for sure. But I thought that there could have been a little bit more character development of those those two key characters, uh, the, the two ladies, I think. So let's go into initial reactions. What would you say to someone if they're like, should I pick up this book or not? If you are a Star Wars fan, if you're a sci-fi fan, yes. Yeah, I, I like this book a lot. I would give it a solid 8.5 out of 10, I think, just from an initial reaction perspective. Yeah, I'd probably give it a solid 8. A little bit lower than you. You had the audiobook with the infamous Mark Thompson, Mark the guy Thompson. who created the Thrawn voice that Disney modeled the Rebels TV show after because he did such That's an amazing right. job of breathing life into this character. What did you think of the audiobook? So overall, I think the audiobook was very positive. Uh, the production value is off the charts. It's crazy good. All the little nuances they put in there. And some of the other Star Wars books that I've listened to, we did a, I did a Soka Star uh, audio. I've done all the other three Thrawn books audio, a couple of others. This one, by far, is the best produced audiobook of any book I've ever listened to. And I've mm. listened to probably, probably pushing uh, 200 books in my Audible library. This one is so good. Even when like Aralani and Thrawn are talking sometimes, they put background noise of like other people talking like they were in a cantina. Mm. Oh. There's just all the ambient noises they throw in there. Okay. Uh, I do suggest that you have you maybe listen to it with like headphones if you have bows or, you know, nice, you know, earbuds or something because I listened to it in my truck a couple of times and I did struggle to to because of the road noise and ambient noise in real life mixing with the audiobook especially when they do the space voices because they're in like their space suits and they have like the uh the electronic voice things that are activated. I did struggle a little bit there but Man, the production value is just so amazing in this one. It's it's really good. The voices are hilarious sometimes too. Mark does a killer job on some of the voices. Um, the one guy, uh, what's his name? The the mid captain, Thrawn's mid captain. Is that Samakro? Samakro, Samakra. Uh, his voice is hilarious because it's Jack Nicholson's Joker from the 1989 Batman oh. movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious, and it's fun to hear him pronounce all the difficult words too. The main bad guy, don't want to spoil it yet. He does a really cool, like, almost like this. It's it's this husky voice, but it, it's really Thrawn if he was kind of, like, on steroids. All right, so let's move on to the pronunciation game that you bring up some of the difficult <laughs> words that are in this. We've got three words here that I'm going to try to pronounce. You tell me how off I am compared to the audiobook rendition, which isn't necessarily canon by any means, but that's what we're going to take for now. So first we have what I believe is the capital of the Chiss planet. 
So I can either go with a silent C or I can pronounce the C real quickly. I'm going to go with silent C. Is is the capital called Scylla? Yeah, it's silent. Okay. okay. All right. I don't know my chest. One for but one. <laughs> nice job. All right. Yeah. Next, next we have the one of the main races in this. Is that called... See, it could either be Narcardin or Nicardoon. And I feel like Nicardoon sounds more epic in a fantasy level. Is it Nicardoon? Nicardoon. Yeah, you're close. Very, right, very close. Right. Nine, I give you 90% on that one. I give you an A. Okay, it's well, not perfect, but you're close. Now we're going to have some issues here, right? Because <laughs> here's another the L one, right? I know which one you're going to try to pronounce. The L one. All right. Is it Leoi? Leoian. Well, I'm sorry. What? One more time. <laughs> Leoian. Leoian. Oh, that is brutal. Yeah. And Mark Thompson says it over and over because I think they say that word about every other sentence. Oh, it's the Leo Aeon. It's Leo Aeon. I wonder how often they had to have him redo something. Like, Mark, that wasn't even close. Like, one more time, bro. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Kind of how like you do with me sometimes. Be like, oh, that's not the right word, crypto. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're moving into more spoilery. So if you really wanted to just avoid everything in this book, just hit the eject button right now. But we're going to start with some medium spoilery and go into more spoilery as we go through this. Skywalkers are explored more in this book than any other book. What did you think about the exploration of Star of Skywalker navigations? I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting how they start to give them a little bit more background. And, and well, big spoilers coming up here. It's alluded to that Thrawn's older sister was whisked away mysteriously and he is guessing that she was a skywalker mm-hmm. and uh so that was kind of like oh wow so like that's a big motivation for him but he doesn't seem to pursue it and then you know Thalys is like why not he's like well you know some things you just can't change you have to focus on what you can do and she's like hell no she was you need to beat that rock till something you know some blood comes out and so i like how that's kind of a, a background motivation for thrawn i thought that was really cool it's also interesting that none of them seem to put it together because in the chis culture it's only girls and they can only use the third sight aka the force until they're 14 15 i'm guessing they kind of are ending puberty well I got a question. They only explored girls so far, but have they ever, from a canon perspective, recognized only girls can be Skywalkers? No. I mean, I think that they've kind of alluded to that Thrawn may be Force-sensitive, right? but he can't use the Force. Okay. Kind of like how like Finn is. Finn is supposedly Force-sensitive, but can't use the Force. So we've only seen young girl Sky- Chiss Skywalkers. We've never seen a young male, but we don't know if it's impossible or not from a canon perspective, right? Right. But they also don't seem to put together that the the other people that can do it are using the force just like the little girls, the ones they hire out, the the mercenaries, what are they called? The uh the void guides. Yeah, the the, the yeah, the, the transport people. And that guy's name I can't pronounce, so don't even ask on that one. <laughs> I I called him Keylori. I may be way off on that one. Oh, I think it is like I think it is close to that key, Lori. All right, so here's a question: How many times do you think they use the word Skywalker in this book? Man, I was trying to come up with that too of a number. Um, how many pages is the book? Three hundred eighty-four. So I'm going to say they say it on average. You ha- have you looked up the answer? I put down my answer before I looked it up. 
Okay, okay. I'm going to say 152 times. Now, what I did is I did a simple every third page. I think they used the word Skywalker. So out of 384, that makes my guess about 128 times. Now, I did a, I did a Kindle search, search for Skywalker, which will find Skywalker and Sky-Walker. If I took any notes where I wrote Skywalker, it may capture that. I'm not 100% sure. So this is a rough estimate. Please don't rake me over the coals for that. <laughs> my search for Skywalker says 131. Oh, dang. You were close. Good Almost job, dude. Almost every three pages, they throw the word Skywalker into this book, which is a lot of times to use one word. Yeah, because I mean, what, what's the word count maybe on the entire book? And you're using 130 some words of the exact same word or variation of. Wow. It was a lot. It was wow. a lot. That so, is a lot. So what did we think of Mamishes being the caretakers of these Skywalkers? The Momish? Oh, uh, is that how you pronounce it? Momish? It was Momish. It looked like Mamish to me in the book. Okay. Yeah, well, Mark Thompson, maybe it's his pronunciation or accent or something. I don't know. But he says, he calls him Momish. Or that's how Siri, uh, Siri. Um, Sherry? <laughs> Sherry calls him uh she calls him the momish so um i thought that was an interesting relationship of you know there are these people that are basically like fostering parents but they have no care for these children like they don't actually love them or care for children it's almost like it's a vanity uh appointment like oh this is something that comes with prestige as if you are a momish and i thought that was kind of sad because for the most part, the Skywalkers are used as tools and not treated as people, which is really, really sad because they lose their childhood as a result. Yeah, they lose a lot as a result. They lose their development as a result as a, as a human being because they're also isolated from like the military tactics. They're just kind of shoved into a back room. It's really sad the way they explore that with Cherry. Now, I'll say this too. What I thought was really interesting in the grander scheme of the Star Wars universe is you had this mom-daughter relationship with the momish, the momish, whatever you want to call it. But you'll notice at one point, our Alani became a momish, mumish, whatever you want to say as well. And she started to kind of groom Cherry. And you'll notice throughout this whole book, she groomed Thrawn as well. And what did we see Thrawn do through the original canon trilogy? Thrawn always took one member of the Empire to groom to become more intelligent and tactical in terms of their thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. And I really like this because when you think about everything in the Star Wars design, Padawan, Master, Jedi. There's always S two. Sith Master, <laughs> Sith Apprentice. Even like how they navigate Luke Skywalker or Anakin, they both had one droid navigator. I love the pairing of two being a a duology throughout the entire Star Wars universe. And I like the way that it's being explored here with a master. It, well, it's not even a master. It's a caregiver giving you advice, taking care of you because Thrawn's giving advice, taking care of Eli Vanto. I can't remember the chick's name in the second and third one. I, I'm going to call her Karen. I want her to be Karen. We'll call her Karen. He gives advice and kind of trains Karen on the way in this. And here we see Aralani train Thrawn and Thrawn pass on that duology in the future trilogies as well. I kind of like that design in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I think it's very subtle because you could throw it away, but it's very much that yin and yang idea that is embedded all the way throughout of Star Wars. And you could just 
toss it off to the side and be like, oh my God, they, it feels like the the Momishes are you know just there to cook and clean and, and take care of them and there there's no purpose to it. But I think there is a good underlying meaning that is showing that these relationships of two people are vital to every aspect of Star Wars, no matter whether you're in the Empire or in a galaxy beyond a galaxy. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's talk about food in this book. There's one food that hit me kind of interesting. Did you notice that the girls were offered a nut paste sandwich? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Did you think it was peanut butter and jelly? Well, (laughs) Like I did? Okay, I I went worse. I went worse. Okay, you ready for this? Let me send you a picture up on the screen here of what the Chiss ship looks like. Okay. Look at this. (laughs) So you're going to tell me the Chiss are flying... This incredibly phallic-like ship through the universe offering their women a nut paste sandwich? (laughs) Zahn. Zahn, buddy. Come on. (laughs) Not subtle. Not subtle. (laughs) All right. So let's talk talk about the world building a little bit. What did you think about the world building in this one? Particularly like the caves of the, you know, like the Chiss families or how that one had like the the ice surface around Scylla and stuff like that. I love world building. I think that it's a tough balancing act for any writer. If you give too much word world building, then it can be too daunting for a reader that has to go to a, a Wikipedia or has to go to the internet and find a, a thesaurus of what all of these words mean and everything. Uh, I think they do a pretty good balance. I think it's a little bit heavy in the world building. I think that sometimes Zahn had a uh, D20 dice for D&D and tossed it Mm. and came up with like four or five different letters and said, all right, that's the name of this new species or that's the name of this new planet. And they just seem to be throwaways. And that's kind of disappointing because there's no payoff a lot of times. And I know that I'm overanalyzing a little bit, but if you look at some other big world building things, a lot of these words are introduced because they have a purpose. And so many times he's just giving us so many species or world, new planets, new cities overload. There's nothing for me there. I'm just like, yep, I forgot that name. I probably forgot more than I remember. Let me disagree with you a little bit there because I think I really enjoyed the world building here, seeing how different even these different families are, how he constructed... So not only the families at ends with each other, but you can see how their environments are different as well. I think when they started to talk about how they were pumping these cities to look more full, like full for enemies and political show, I thought that was really interesting, but it only took a page or two. Like it didn't go into too much detail. To me, it didn't go into too much detail about what they were wearing or too many colloquialisms. Like sometimes like they'll be like, well, that's colder than a frost night on a cavern in Winthrop. And you're like, I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds like one of those just throwaway lines. I felt like Thrawn did it. I felt like Zahn did a good job of doing some world building, but not being too heavy handed by any means in my experience. Okay, I would agree with that. I guess my thing is I'm listening to it again, and maybe the reading experience would be different uh, that it just, he says so many words that sound so similar so often, I lose some of them. And that may, that may be me. That may not, that, that's nothing that maybe take away negative of the book. So I don't want that to come off as, as I'm being negative of the book. It's my problem with interpreting all of those different, you know, new words, because they're basically foreign words to me. They're alien words. Well, let's do this. Okay, so we'll put a link in the description box below where Timothy Zahn was being 
introduced. He wrote originally for Legends, the, the non-canon, the expanded universe. And now he's writing canon Thrawn again. And in his vision, brilliantly, even though Disney only recognizes the new stuff as canon, he's writing this prequel original trilogy into the, the Heir of the Empire to be one continuous story, even though Disney only recognizes the new canon stuff. Right, I'll put a link below for that. That's pretty pretty. Uh, if this were overdoing world building, I would argue there he is coming up criminally short. That if this is the introduction to Thrawn, if you think about how much description was made for ships, it's criminally short describing what the ships actually looked like in terms of you know you think of the star destroyers being that triangle design we see in the comic book we have a very phallic design <laughs> for the chist ship he was criminally short on a lot of descriptions for things like that for readers to have a coherent vision of what exactly these these constructions did look like that's true also i think that it sometimes it's a little bit short on uh what they look like as well i mean if you look at thrawn He's very, very unique when he's in the Empire, and he's not so unique when he's in the Chiss Ascendancy, but we never get a lot of description of what any of the characters look like, right? Right, and I think that's because maybe from a writer's flaw perspective, he's already written so much about Thrawn, he doesn't remember to add that in for those starting the journey here. I think this is more fuel to the fire of this is probably, even though it's the first chronologically in-universe it's probably a bad place to start reading through. Yeah, I mean, it does discuss a little bit like about his eyes and stuff, but he has a very unique look and his voice is very unique and that's brought up several times. And I think that you get a lot more out of that for the audiobook than the, the actual reading it. There were some things I just wanted to know more about too, like the Vok and their thought lines. I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, well, if you say something to someone, I kind of got like this hive mind feel to how they think. And I was like, wow, what does an ice cream social look like for these people? Like, does your neighbor have like this new Cherry Garcia? And they're like, dude, that tastes awesome. <laughs> I just wanted to know more about a lot of these cultures. And that's why I felt that there wasn't enough world building. There was just the taste of it. And, and maybe that's an appropriate amount. Maybe a taste is good for people that want this. Yeah. And it allows him to build out more into the other books. I mean, he doesn't want to give you all right now. My mind for the POC immediately went to like they were Geonosians. All right, so let's move on to Timothy Zahn's writing, which I think is probably a strength our channel can comment on as opposed to maybe some other channels that might review just Star Wars books. What did you think about his writing? <laughs> so we're going into our analytical mode here, and I don't want to insult anybody's enjoyment of the book. As we've already stated, we enjoy the book, and there's a lot of get out of the book. The pacing is good. Uh, it's the overuse of words, I think sometimes is what gets me. And then again, kind of, we talked about with the world building, he is not anywhere caliber. Some of the other authors that we do on here, he'll overuse adjectives and such, but my favorite part about this book. Okay. So first of all, I'm glad he threw in sparkle vision again. I'd be very upset if we ignored that that didn't happen. <laughs> and he makes fun of himself, right? He does. He does. And I enjoy I, like I think I really enjoyed this book. But here's here's where I, I I wonder if he was making fun of himself or if this was completely accidental. Like this was hysterical to me. So we had the quote where she says, It's bogus, totally bogus. Bogus to the ninth factorial. That's a lot of boguses, Arlani said. Right? So we had three usages of the word bogus, right? And Arlani's kind of picking up on that and making fun of it. 
well, not long before that, I think the chapter before that, we had the quote from him where he says, it had been two decades since Thallius had had to even... I'm not even going to finish the sentence. We'll, we'll just do a fragment of the sentence there. We have three usages of had. That is totally bogus. <laughs> in, this, in one in sentence. sentence. So <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if he's ripping on himself, but that the had-hads, right, and the overuses of adjectives definitely will slow down a reader, right? Like, like this, and this is consistent with a lot of Zahn's writing, that you just have to understand that going into this, there's some amateurish writing in the book. Yeah, this is brain candy. But I think that this book is definitely better written than maybe Treason and Alliances. Uh, I feel like this is more Zahn and less Disney executive editor that is messing with his writing. You can definitely feel that this is more of a passion project and that he's enjoyed writing this a little bit more than maybe, say, the, the last two books, in my opinion. He needs and, his and space, right? Right. When, when Dave Filoni puts him in a box and he, he backs himself into a corner with treason, Zahn's strength is, is his fun plot and aggressive pacing in his novels. This novel had so much stuff happen but also so many chapters where so little happened. But that doesn't mean that the pacing was off. It just means that he was throwing so much stuff in there. Some of it mattered, some of it didn't. But it was a fun ride through most of it is, is really how I would phrase it. That it is a nonstop sci-fi fun adventure is, is really what you're getting with Zahn. And he did a great job with this book. Agreed, agreed. I think that with his having the freedom, you see his brilliance of him as an individual as well, even with the amateur writing in there a little bit here or there. I mean, it's pretty cool to think that this guy himself is able to come up with the ideas of a foreign alien art and then how some guy is so smart to interpret that art to plan battle tactics to attack them in a super advanced starship Th this guy's coming up with that in his brain. That's pretty brilliant. So, I mean, he is, like, even smarter than Thrawn. Uh, and, yeah. and I think that that's really well, cool as well. Ar arguably, I would actually flip that around, where I think I think he's writing a character that is meant to be smarter than he is, right? Like, how do you write a character that has all of the answers? And that's probably really hard to do, particularly when he's busy running around space offering nut paste sandwiches to all the girls on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> you and your peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> you boys want some sandwiches? <laughs> you, want, you want a nice sandwich? <laughs> well, uh, all right. I think funny. we've we've already given our wrap ups. We've already given our spoiler free thoughts about you know eight point five. What did you say eight? Yeah, around eight. Well, I had a few complaints. Uh, I, I felt like a little bit here or there. There, there's some time in in a modern day viewpoint. When I read this or listen to this, it was kind of disappointing that a couple of the main characters, they don't get a lot of character development, um, and Shiri and Thalius uh, don't get a lot of character development till the end of the story. And if you think about it this way, a lot of their character development only happens because a guy told them. And I felt that was a little bit sexist because mm. Thrawn supported them or because Thrawn told them that they were good enough. They finally believed in themselves. And it's they were like, given permission by a man to do the flying or by a yeah. man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or choose their own path. And I thought 
man, you 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 didn't have to have Thrawn, okay. you know, be the Mary Sue here. Like he has every single answer. He fixes every single character. He allows every character to develop. I'm like, yes, Thrawn's the main character. We love Thrawn. Thrawn's awesome. But you could have let Sherry be herself, you know, or you didn't have to have Thalius have to, you could have her find her own way. You didn't have to have Thrawn mm-hmm. do it for her. That kind of bummed me out a little bit. You know, that's a really good point that there is arguably maybe a little bit of male sexism in there coming from a male author here in that regard. So I hadn't thought about that, but that's interesting. Thrawn does give permission to the female characters to evolve. And it doesn't detract from the book. It's just something from a person that analyzes books heavily like we do here on this channel that I noticed. I was like, oh, that pops up. And I'm Mm. like, that's something we can analyze and discuss. Why would Mm. he do that? Why yeah. is this a Chiss thing? Is this his own personal beliefs that's bleeding into this? There is there something there? No, Am I there, overanalyzing? There, there is a long history in sci-fi for misogynistic male dominant writing. All the way back to 50s, we love Kurt Vonnegut. He's got some elements of it. When you look at Harlan Eloquin or Harlan Ellison, heavy male thoughts on it. A ton of sci-fi from the 50s and 60s was very male focused. And this is a modern sci-fi book that is going to be put under that lens. I don't think it's as, it's clearly not as bad as some of those novels, right? It's not justifying some things. But there are elements that you said that this is clearly male-dominated and male-permission-based like much of the old sci-fi writing. But it feels like that little nuance is there, and that's just something that you have to be cognizant of when you're writing books in 2020. It's not 1950 anymore. Right. Well, even even R. Arlani, there's that quote in there. She finally felt passion because she could protect Thrawn, right? Her drive became of male as well, not anything of herself, but because of the external male character who is supposed to be the brilliant Superman of the story, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very interesting point. Very well thought out there, Crypto. Nice job on that one. Uh, hopefully you enjoy this book. We think you should check it out. Obviously, we're both very positive on this. I think this was a very fun read. Do not check this out for the analysis or uh, brilliant literary writing, but we do think it's a very fun, action-packed sci-fi fun. Yeah, please, if you're into this and more, subscribe. (laughs) I don't know what you want from me with these random transitions. Una out. (laughs) Peace.